Amen. Praise be to God. Well, everyone needs a hobby. Hobbies give us something to do to relieve stress and decompress. One of the purposes of mankind is to work. Uh, Paul talks about that in the letter of Ephesians. We've been created uh, to do good works. But it's not healthy uh, for someone to be in a work state 24-7. And so... Everybody has the, these different hobbies. Different people have different hobbies. I'm interested to know here in a brief minute uh, what some of your hobbies are. I'm going to list off uh, a handful of different hobbies. And if you enjoy that hobby, either raise your hand, give a hallelujah, give a shout, or whatever. But when I list that hobby, I want to know if you partake of that hobby. So first one I have is reading. Who likes to read? Okay. Wow. Uh, I'm impressed with that. Well done. Uh, what about watching TV or, or watching movies? Yeah, that, I, I guess that's about most everyone. Uh, what about playing or watching sports? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, give a hallelujah. Uh, what about uh, playing board games or video games? Yeah. What about puzzles? Nope. <laughs> Bed until they finish their puzzle. Uh, not going to name any names, uh, but bless your heart. Uh, what about uh, painting, coloring, or drawing? Any artistic uh, men or ladies out there? Woodworking. Anybody enjoy woodworking? A few. Uh, raising farm animals? A handful, yeah. Uh, not as many as I was expecting, actually. Let me keep my eye out. Uh, but a few of you guys there. What about scrolling through social media? Does anybody like to scroll through social media? Yeah, a handful of us. And so most people have a couple of different hobbies. Well, my brother-in-law is not one of those people. He, he does not have a couple of hobbies. He has all sorts of <laughs> hobbies. Uh, most of the hobbies that my brother-in-law has, uh, they are pretty unique, and he's pretty passionate about most of his hobbies. Uh, he loves disc golf. He, he is an avid disc golf fan. A couple of us are just barely getting into disc golf, but, but he, he loves disc golf, very passionate about it. Uh, he loves woodworking, very passionate about that. Uh, he, he does forging. He enjoys that. He loves uh, watching uh, different videos on YouTube, and he loves sitting on the couch eating some popcorn and watching documentaries. He, he loves documentaries. I don't know many people who watch more documentaries uh, than him. But he also loves, this one is even a little more unique, he loves bonsai trees. Does anyone grow any bonsai trees here? I see, I see two people, yeah, growing bonsai trees. He led a uh, bonsai a workshop at Fuel last year, and he was totally in his element. He loved it. Uh, I don't have a bonsai tree uh, myself. I care more about my uh, grass, my lawn, uh, but they fascinate me. Uh, some of them look really, really cool. I think it would be uh, pretty cool to have a mature bonsai tree in my office. Um, it's always just uh, a thought that I had in my idea, the, those really mature ones, and, and you, I think we're all kind of imagining the same one, the ones, uh, you, the ones you see in the pictures. They got the, the curved bark and just so mature and yet so small can fit in a little pot. I think that'd be so cool. Uh, but I don't know, personally, I don't know a ton about bonsai trees. Most of my knowledge that I have about bonsai uh, comes from my brother-in-law and his fascination with them. But sometimes uh, when someone is crafting their perfect bonsai tree, they will take another plant 
and they will intertwine it with their bonsai tree. Uh, this process is called grafting, and it's, and it's not just uh, with bonsai trees or uh, this process is played out, but, but it's played out uh, semi-frequently in a uh, bonsai tree where a wound is created in this tree or plant that they are dealing with, and then this other plant is inserted into that wound uh, so each uh, plant's tissue uh, can grow together, and then the wound is protected until it heals. Does anybody, does anybody have any experience grafting uh, plants together, whether it be bonsai trees or fruit trees or anything like that? Anybody out there? No, okay. Used to. Uh, yeah, so there we go. Gra- uh, that, that, that's something that absolutely amazes me, that you can take a part of one plant and you, you make a wound on another and you uh, intertwine it together. I'm not sure exactly uh, how that process plays out, but it fascinates me. It amazes me that that works, that that plant then, then grows to, to be a part of this new tree or this new plant. It, it's a pretty neat feature of God's creation, grafting one plant into a another plant. And not only is this process of grafting plants a pretty neat uh, feature of God's creation, but today we're going to see how we are grafted into God's plan of salvation as well. A a very similar idea, a very similar picture of someone grafting a part of a tree into a a, a new tree or into a new plant. And and we're going to see this as we continue our series on the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 11. So to remind ourselves, Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church at Rome. Paul, he desperately wanted to go preach the gospel message to the church at Rome. But in the meantime, he would write a letter about the gospel message. And that's what this letter is. is Paul presents this gospel message to the church at Rome. Last week, we covered chapter 10, verses 14 through chapter 11, uh, verse 10. And the week prior, we saw that if you simply call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Zero questions asked. No ands, buts, or ifs. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Right now, last week, we saw in order for someone to call on the name of the Lord, they have to believe in him first. And to believe in him, someone must first uh, hear of him. To hear of him, someone must first uh, preach or proclaim uh, the good news. And for someone to preach the good news, that person must first be sent. And so I encourage you all last week to be considerate of the places in which God is sending you to share the good news, this gospel message. For if someone simply calls on the name of the Lord, if they have a faith in God and his son Jesus, they will be saved. And who has God sent you to share this simple saving message with, this simple gospel message? We, we have to be aware of that. For, for you come into contact with your family, your coworkers, your friends, uh, you name it, uh, many people I'll never come into contact with or, or, or your Sunday school teacher or your friend, you have a unique set uh, of relationships special to you and you need, you need to use these relationships that God has blessed you with to share this gospel-saving message. We also saw last week that the Israelites, they did not have any good excuses for not putting their faith in God and accepting the simple saving message. And they will be held accountable for whether or not they put their faith in God. And we see the same applies to us as well. We have all heard this gospel message and it is so easy to understand. You cannot possibly misunderstand the message of putting your faith in God and Jesus, and then you'll be saved. 
You, you can't misunderstand that. So, so we all have zero excuses for not putting our faith in God. If you don't exhibit a, a living and active faith, you can be certain that you will pay for the wages of your sin. They'll be cast into uh, the gates of hell when Jesus comes back to judge uh, the, the world. And uh, if you don't have that living faith, you, you won't have access to God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so we have zero excuses for not putting our faith in God and his son, Jesus. And so when we take a look at this uh, letter of Romans in, in a wide, uh, through a wide lens, we can break it down into three uh, different sections. The first section is all about our sin and the fallenness of mankind. We, we learned, uh, Paul uh, talked about how we all have sin and we are all in need of salvation. That, that was the first part. If you got to remember from a couple months ago that that wasn't a very fun uh, time. It, it's not fun talking about the sin and the fallenness uh, of mankind, but it's important. We need to know that we are in need of salvation. And thank goodness that the second part of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, it does go into pretty in-depth detail of this plan of salvation for all of mankind. If you simply believe in God and Jesus, then you will be saved. And the salvation, Paul talked about the salvation is available to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And then finally, the third section of this letter is about putting your belief into action. You need to have, when we talk about putting your faith, putting your belief in God and Jesus, it's a type of belief that affects every aspect of your life. It's a belief that makes your Monday look dramatically different from a Monday of someone who does not believe in God and Jesus. And, and that's what we're going to see here uh, eventually in this third part. But today, we're finishing up the second section all about salvation to all who have faith. We're going to be uh, finishing up chapter 11. We have a bit of a larger uh, chunk than normal. So we're going to be uh, going at a bit of a faster pace. But the second section uh, of this letter of Romans has been the bulk of Paul's message here. Really starting all the way back uh, in chapter 3, all the way through chapter 11, we see all this information about God's plan of salvation for you and I. And, and today we're, we're kind of finishing up that discussion of God's plan of salvation for you and I. And so we pick up in Romans chapter 11. We'll be starting in verse 11 this morning. Paul writes, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will the full inclusion mean? And so here that they, uh, again, Paul's talking about uh, the Jews here. Unfortunately, they, the Jews, a large portion of them have rejected God. And, and that is a terrible, terrible thing that, that these chosen people of God have rejected God himself. And so it's a terrible circumstance that, that we find the, the church here in, in the time of Paul. However, out of this very, very bad thing, God's chosen people rejecting him, God brought a, a, a tremendous amount of good out of it. Where Paul talks about because the Israelites rejected God, God deliberately opened 
this plan of salvation to all who simply believe. And so the Israelites, they, they, they became insensitive to God and his calling. They, they rejected God's Messiah, the, the, the central piece of God's plan for mankind, the Messiah. A large chunk of the Jews rejected that man, the man Jesus of Nazareth. They have rejected God himself by rejecting his Messiah. But Paul tells us a day is coming where both the Gentiles and the Jews will be gathered together as, as God's people. And how richly blessed will we all be that day? Where we see all of these blessings that come from the, the trespass of these uh, Israelites and all these blessings. Imagine all of the blessings that will come when they are fully included as well, both Jew and Gentile. In that day and age, it will be, uh, be a tremendous day of glory, of honor, a day that we certainly do not want to miss out on. And so this is uh, ju just one uh, example of God making good things happen out of a bad situation. Where God took his chosen people who had rejected them, and because of this bad, bad situation... He turned that into tremendous good. And now this plan of salvation that God had for the Israelites, it was opened up to you and I as well. And now all we need to do is put our faith in God and we will be saved. No questions asked. And God does this all of the stinking time. He is turning our bad situations into good for us. We just talked about a couple weeks ago, for all things work together for the good of those who believe in Christ Jesus. All things work together. God can use the crummy situations in our life, and he can use it for good in your life. And this is one instance where God took a crummy uh, situation, and he used that for a tremendous amount of good so that you and I can have access to salvation. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. And so Paul continues in, in verse 13. And he says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. And so here we, we've seen uh, the past couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the Jews pretty heavily and how they fit into God's plan of salvation. And now Paul says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. You, you and I, uh, at least uh, most of not all of us, we, we are Gentiles. A Gentile is uh, simply someone who isn't a Jew. And so now Paul is, is speaking directly to you and I he's speaking to the Gentiles. Now, speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches." So Paul's been talking about the Jews, and now he shifts gears and is talking about the Gentiles here for a bit. And so we have to understand here in the setting that, that Paul is dealing with uh, the, the very first uh, couple generations of uh, the, this Christian movement, where God established a very special relationship with the Jews in the Old Testament. 
And with Jesus, a lot of things changed. And we were intentionally included in God's plan of salvation. And Paul, he was an apostle. He was sent out to preach this news to the Gentiles. But Paul being a Jew, uh, in fact, a, a large portion of the earliest Christ followers were uh, Jews themselves. Yet Paul had a responsibility to share this message with the Gentiles. He, he was sent to preach a message that would be heard by others and eventually believe so that they would be saved. And so when Paul being sent out to the Gentiles, to, to those who weren't uh, initially included in, in uh, the, these promises that God established with the nation of Israel, and Paul is talking how the, the, these promises, these covenants are extended to all who believe, all of a sudden, we can see the Jew, these Jews start to get a bit jealous. Because for a couple thousand years, God, God has established these covenants and these promises, and he shared the, the, this wealth of knowledge and information almost exclusively with the Israelites. And now all of a sudden, that's being opened up to the world. And so if we put ourselves in their shoes, we can, we can certainly see why the Jews would be jealous. Where, where, where they were special, they were unique, they were driving out the other nations that were disobedient to God, God telling the children of Abraham that they would inherit the land, God telling uh, David and his offspring that they, would in, uh, that they would establish the kingdom and the throne and the house forever, all these special blessings on the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and now it's open to everyone. And of course, the Israelites would be jealous about this message. I can see why, why maybe they, they, they have this feeling of being left out, this isolated feeling where they, they, were, they were special in, in God's eyes, and certainly they're special in God's eyes, but, but now that's being opened up to everybody. And so some of the Jews, and being jealous of this good news that Paul is preaching, it would encourage them, it would inspire them to then put their faith in God. Verse 14, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. In order that they would see this good news being shared, they'd be jealous, they'd want it for themselves, and they would actually take it for themselves as well. And so that, that's, that's interesting. Uh, as Paul, uh, being an apostle of the, of the Gentiles, dealt uh, pretty heavily with the Gentiles. And in his ministry with the Gentiles, he actually caused some of the Jews to be saved as the Jews were jealous of this message and they wanted it for themselves and they had it all along. They just lost sight of this message and they then uh, received it as their own and put their faith in God and his son Jesus once again. And so uh, uh, there again, uh, Paul begs us uh, to consider the glory of the Jews coming into the salvation once again. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? A glorious image of all the, the, these good things coming from the rejection. How much more will God's glory be revealed and them receiving and accepting this good news that God has established with them. And so in, the, in these next following verses, uh, verses 17 uh, through 24, Paul uses a, an example of an olive tree um, as a parable, as a short story uh, to uh, tell a point. An olive tree was the most common tree in their region. 
If we uh, look through uh, the Old Testament and some of the prophets, uh, the, the nation of Israel was, depict, uh, was depicted as the olive tree of God a couple of times throughout the Old Testament prophets. And so here, Paul, in verses 17 through 24, he, he goes through this parable of an olive tree. And we're going to go ahead, we're going to read uh, this full parable here, and we're going to break it down here in a minute. So, so stick with me as we read uh, this larger chunk of scripture. So Paul writes in, in verse 17, but as some of the branches were broken off, and you, and, and again, Paul is talking to the Gentiles. We see that back in 13. So now in verse 17, and you, the Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing roots of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more? Will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And so in this parable, uh, Jesus taught a lot in, in parables. And here we see uh, Paul talking, teaching uh, through a parable as well. And in this parable, the, the short story, the, the short uh, object lesson, uh, we see that the Israelites are a cultivated olive tree. They, they, they are a good tree producing fruit. And, and so that, that's the Israelites. They, they are the, the, this original olive tree that God is working with. The Gentiles, on the other hand, you and I, we are wild branches that are grafted into the nourished olive tree where once we weren't a part of this fine-looking olive tree that, that is rich and blessings and fertility, but now we are being grafted into this tree that is rich in nutrition. And if we look carefully at this, that makes zero sense. That makes zero sense. There's no purpose of grafting a wild branch into a cultivated olive tree that is producing good fruit. You would only ever bother grafting a branch from a cultivated tree that is producing good fruit into a wild tree in order to help that tree produce good fruit. And so in this parable, it makes, it makes zero sense upon the initial uh, view at it, for why in the world would someone graft these wild branches into this good tree? Nobody does that, when, when, at least as far as I'm aware. Nobody does that when grafting trees together. It, it makes zero sense. But in this parable, we, the Gentiles, the, the wild branches, the wild shoots, we are grafted into this tree, not for the benefit of the already cultivated tree, not for the benefit of the Israelites, 
but it is only for our benefit. As we get grafted into this goodness of God's olive tree, and we reap the richness of the nourishing tree. And so in this parable that, that goes contrary uh, to, to logic when, when, when dealing with grafting one tree into another, we see two lessons uh, that stick out to me here. The first, that we should not get arrogant towards our stance of the Jews. We should not be arrogant. We should not be proud. God established a very special relationship toward the Jews and offered them salvation. Now, it's only through their disobedience, through their lack of faith, that this offer of salvation was offered to everyone. But we, the Gentiles, we are grafted into these promises, into this foundation that was already set in place, all for our own benefit. There would be no Christianity if it weren't first for Judaism. I don't think, it, 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 some people completely separate Christianity from Judaism, and I don't think that that's a help, healthy practice. I don't view them as two completely different religions. Maybe now today and some of the different practices with Judaism versus Christianity, maybe you can see a difference there. But, but Judaism, when I view Judaism as in the Old Testament, the, the, these people that God had established covenants with, promises with, Christianity is simply a realization that was promised in the Old Testament to the Jews, to the Israelites. Christianity is exactly what was originally founded with the Israelites, a Messiah coming to save God's people. This is one reason why I think it is imperative for us to study the Old Testament. A lot of people think, oh, what does the Old Testament matter? There, there are some rules that maybe don't necessarily apply to us today. There, there's some stories that took, thousands, took place thousands of years ago. Why does it matter? Well, it matters because without the Old Testament, we have no, we, we have no means of salvation. Where God established these covenants, this family, the special relationship that God has with mankind was established in the Old Testament. And we are grafted into that. We are grafted into that. We are graciously given a seat into this special relationship that was founded a long, long, long time ago in the Old Testament. And so we shouldn't be arrogant. You know, sometimes, uh, especially uh, during uh, the time of Paul and, and dealing with, with uh, the, the Jews, they, they got a very bad repertoire uh, for, from uh, the other people outside of Judaism. And, and Paul here is saying, we can't be proud of that. We, we can't be arrogant towards our stance of the Jews for it's only because of the Jews where they have established the, this foundation of relationship with God that we have access to that relationship today. And we also shouldn't get arrogant because God has cut off some of the original branches of the olive tree due to their lack of faith. And so God took the, the, this chosen people in which he established a very special relationship with and God cut off some of those branches because they had a lack of faith in God. And how much more would God be willing to cut off the branches 
that are simply grafted into this tree if we display a lack of faith. And so here I see in this parable, we should not be proud. Paul says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. And then later in verse 20, so do not become proud, but fear. So that's the first thing that, that really sticks out to me in this parable. We should not be proud. For everything that we have today was established with a group of people a long time ago. And we need to be grateful for that. And the second lesson that, that I see here is, is we have a lesson of hope. God was severe in his dealing with the unfaithful Israelites by cutting them off from the tree. However, God is willing, wanting, and able to graft them back into the tree. That's how we close out verse 24. If you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So God is willing, wanting, and able to graft these branches back into the tree. And God is willing, wanting, and able to graft anyone, any branch into this plan of salvation. And all we have to do is believe. If someone believes, God will graft them into this plan of salvation. And so we can never, ever give up hope. I know you all have loved ones, friends, family out there are not currently grafted into this tree. And it is such a foolish decision. But never give up. Because God is willing, wanting, and able to graft them into this tree, into this plan of salvation. All it takes is for them to put their faith in God and his plan of salvation. Crazy things have happened. We see this man, the Apostle Paul, writing this letter, teaching us this parable of the olive tree being grafted into the tree. Well, Paul, formerly known as Saul, he was some who sought to have these Christians put in prison and to have these Christians executed. If God can use Paul, God can use you, he can use your family, and he can use your friends as well. So never, ever give up hope. So as we continue here, moving along past the, the parable of the olive tree, we see verse 25, Paul uh, shifting gears here a, a bit again. Paul says, verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Uh, we'll, we'll finish reading down through 32. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience so they too now have been disobedient in order, in order that they, that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. 
For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And so here, if we rewind a bit, uh, going, uh, jumping back up to verse 25, we see that the Israelites, they hardened their hearts towards God's Messiah, Jesus. And through this hardening of their hearts, Christ was offered to the Gentiles as well in order that all who believe in him uh, shall be saved. And through this process, Paul says uh, in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved as well. And initially, this uh, caused me to stumble here a bit in saying that all Israel will be saved. I'd I'd initially think when, when reading this that Paul is talking about all of the true children of Abraham, those who have faith. If remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago when we first started talking about the Israelites and has God failed the Israelites? Well, no, God hasn't failed the Israelites because Paul was essentially saying all the true children of Abraham will be saved. And so upon an initial glance, that's kind of where I would think Paul is heading that in that direction, that all the true children of, uh, of Abraham will be saved. That is, everyone who puts their faith in God will be saved. But I'm not I, quite convinced uh, that is the case, because in the more immediate context that we've been dealing with, Paul has been talking about the physical Israelites, the, 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 the physical people who have descended from the, the, the race, the blood of Abraham. And so I'm not sure Paul's talking about uh, the true children of Abraham, but, but rather on a more physical sense, the, the sense that we would often think when talking about the Israelites and the Jews. Now, I don't think that, that Paul is saying that every a single individual Jew will be saved. But possibly Paul is indicating that the nation or, or the group of Israel as a whole, they will be saved. They will be saved as God has offered up this plan of salvation to both the Gentiles and the Jews. For a short while, the the Jews, they were disobedient to this plan of salvation. That's when God opened it up uh, to uh, us, the the Gentiles. But, But God is merciful so that they too have now been disobedient in order that they, that by the mercy shown to you also, they also may now receive mercy. And so God is showing his mercy to the Israelites. Whereas they were disobedient, but God is willing, he is wanting, and he is able to graft them back into the tree. Or they may be a natural branch and that natural branch may be cut off from the tree. But God wants to graft that natural branch back into the tree. So long story short, what we see here is God gives everyone an opportunity for him to show his mercy. All God is seeking is a type of faith that yields obedience. It was through Israel's disobedience that they lost direct access to this olive tree. As the final verses uh, that we'll read here, uh, starting in verse 33, Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how instructable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So here we see the close of a chapter. 
The original writings, they didn't have any uh, chapter breaks. Uh, but here we see the close of, the, of what I view the second section of this letter. In this section, which we uh, see a plan of salvation for all who believe, we see that God cannot possibly be repaid. This is all just a part of God's grace to you and I, receiving something that you and I do not deserve. And it's from God, it is through God, and it is to God all things exist. And to him, to God, be glory forever. Amen. So we spent the last nine chapters taking a look at the goodness of God and his plan of salvation for all who believe. Paul has broken this, this down the, the, the past nine chapters, this plan of salvation as to how we attain it, the price that was paid for it, who it is for, and some of the blessings that are associated with this plan of salvation. And as we close this section on this letter, I just want you to know that you serve a God who cannot possibly be repaid. God's grace to you is so abundant that in your most wild imaginations and dreams, you cannot even begin to repay what God has done for you. And God is not seeking for us to repay him for what he has done for us. He's not seeking payment. All God is seeking, he is seeking a relationship with you and he is seeking to receive glory from you as well. And so I just want to encourage you and whatever you may be going through, your present day troubles, we talked about a couple weeks ago, they do not begin to compare to the glory that will be revealed to us in this plan of salvation that Paul has meticulously broken down these past nine chapters. So we cannot lose sight of the ultimate reward in store for those of us who remain faithful to God. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for this letter of Romans. Father, I thank you for the words that you've divinely inspired Paul to write. These words which describe your grace and your mercy, your plan of salvation for us. Father, it's my hope and it's my prayer that everyone here may put their faith, may put their belief in you and your son Jesus so that we will be saved, so that we will receive glory in your coming kingdom. Father, we cannot wait for that day and age. And until then, I pray that you watch over us, help us remain faithful and obedient to you. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that we pray. And all of God's church said, amen.